I'm Fry. And I'm Brie, ranking all of the popes from Peter to Francis. And this is episode 70, Pope Adeodatus I. What? Adeodatus I, which also means we're going to have a second Adeodatus. Mm. Yeah, that's a name. Adeodatus, Adeodatus, something like that. It's not even the only version of his name that is out there. It's not even his birth name. Um, so... We'll jump right into it on the weird name thing here. He was born in Rome with the name Deus Dedit. That's not better. I didn't say it was better. I said it was different. Deus Dedit means God has given in Latin. And Adeodatus is also Latin and has the same meaning. It's just given by God rather than God has given. So, <sighs> so it's not different at all. It's a variation of the same name. There are there are several figures, including a saint from Monte Cassino and the son of St. Augustine, who also have this name, or a variant of it. So somewhere along the way, they all get amalgamated, and every person who has this name is either a Deodatus or Deus Dedit, and they generally both, it'll just be like Saint Adeodatus slash Deus Dedit, no matter who they are. <laughs> the question now is... Was he given by God? Is he like a miracle baby? What's going on here? Well, I mean, it is kind of that, you know, classic, ooh, blessing kind of thing, right? God has given me this baby. This baby that I didn't have nine months ago. Yes, exactly. So if he was a miracle baby, we don't know about it. But here's the best part. I want to give you his father's name, Stephen. So he has a normal name, and then he gives his son... Adeodatus Deus Dedit. To be fair, that's like a lot of celebrities who are like, my child's name is Apple. My child's name is Pilot Instructor. I hate celebrity baby names. Those poor children. I just, and you know what? It has started a trend where people are doing that to normal children as well. Stop it. Just stop. As somebody who grew up with a name that was spelt in a way that, you know, was never on anything? Stop it. Apologies to my own children. They're not that weird. I mean, they're just slightly left of normal. And I'm not saying my name is super weird either, because, you know, it's not an unusual name. Brienne is not a weird name, but for my entire life it was Brianna, you know, all of the versions of that, and never the right spelling and if anybody spelled it right they said brian so you know anyways <laughs> adeodatus's father stephen was a subdeacon in the church and it seems that his son must have followed him into a similar religious service at a very young age because we know that adeodatus joined the church and became a priest and some sources say he was a priest for 40 years before his election to the papacy. This is a long time, but this is also a bit of a challenge because other sources suggest that he would have been born around the year 570, which would have made him 45 at the time of his election, and I doubt anyone is ordaining a five-year-old five to be a priest. <laughs> you want to be a priest, baby? Okay. I'm not sure that that's happening at this time. We will deal with some very young popes where that 
clearly had to have happened. My my five year old wants to be Super Mario right now, so like. But you know, if your if your dad was was a a deacon in the church, you might be like, I want to be like daddy, and they're like, done. Too bad you're daddy now. <laughs> daddy forever, lifelong vows. So. Even if it wasn't 40 years, the general consensus is that Adeodatus was a long-serving priest. And apparently he was a good one, with a reputation for dedicated charity to the poor, and he starts to gain the notice of Pope Gregory. Yeah, it's Greg. Yeah, Greg's back. Greg likes people who are nice to the poor, so he makes him a cardinal deacon on October 15th of 590, the same time as Pope Sabinian Everybody and else. Pope Boniface III. See, like, I'm I'm waiting for, like, it to be like, and then Pope Sabinian had his eye on this person, and I'm, like, gonna be like, no, I don't, this priest is bad already. <laughs> Funny you should say that. <laughs> so then after the death of Pope Boniface IV, Adeodatus was made Pope on October 19th of 615. Since he's associated with Gregory, we're gonna have the same thing that we did with some of our previous popes where there are documents that come out of Benedictine monasteries that claim that Adeodatus was a monk before he was pope, as was, you know, the definite custom in the monastic loving era following Gregory. Gregory liked promoting monks and putting them in positions to be elevated. A five-year-old monk. Yeah, yeah. Um, But there's no actual evidence to verify or corroborate that Adeodatus was a monk. Actually, it's it's fairly easy to disprove since in all the sources, everyone refers to Adeodatus as being the first priest to be elected pope since John II in 533. We have not had a priest elected to be pope in 82 years. After John II, we've had papal apocrysaries and monks, but we've not had a priest. But Adeodatus is a priest, and he's about to make some changes. And funny you said what you said before, because although he had been elevated by Gregory, his approach to the papacy was far less Gregorian and a little bit more Sabinian. Get out. (laughs) Except for the whole awful charging for grain while people are dying. So, yeah. Okay, so what I mean here... What I'm getting at is that Adeodatus was about to reverse the monastic tide on the papal administration and bring priests back the way that Sabinian had tried to do. I mean, that's a noble cause. Yeah, he actually held the first ordinations that we've seen in the church, creating 14 new priests for the first time since the beginning of Gregory's papacy. So we have had no ordinations in that time. And then he recalls the monks from roles in clerical administration and replaces them with priests, particularly wherever he could put a priest back in the role who might have lost his position to a monk during Gregory and Boniface's papacy. He's trying to put things a little bit more back into the traditional order. Priests, not monks, holding these roles. So... In that way, he's a little bit like Sabinian, but not in the terrible way. (laughs) And while Adeodatus is shaking things up in the church a little bit, the rest of the Byzantine Empire and the Italian world is continuing to fall apart and have a bad time. So we're going to, you know, visit the rest of the imperial world for a minute. 
So shortly after Adeodatus assumed the papacy, the Lombard king Agilulf died, and his wife Theodolinda continued to rule as regent for their son Adelwald. And although we're not going to see a repeat of the Ostrogothic situation and what happened to Queen Amalasuntha, Adelwald was not a good choice to be king, and would later go on to go insane and get deposed and die, quote-unquote, mysteriously. 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 Oh, no, nobody knows what happened to Adelwald. Everyone knows what happened to Adelwald. But we're getting ahead of ourselves, and that's going to be long after the time of this pope. It's important to know because it sets the tone for his reign. It's suddenly less stable because Agilolf is gone, and despite Theodolinda's even hand, the Lombards are going to come back into conflict with the Byzantine Exarch because things are just not going to be stable enough. So in 615, a rebellion broke out against the Byzantines, and in Ravenna, the Exarch John I and many of his officials were murdered by the rebels and encouraged on by Lombard forces. And then around the same time, since there was no Exarch and the emperor is way too busy fighting Persia, a man called John of Konza, or Kompsa, which are both accurate because he's from Kompsa, which is modern-day Konza della Campania, he declared himself to be the independent ruler of Naples and captures the city there. Now, neither of this would last terribly long, though, because the new exarch, a man called Eleutherius, not only had anyone who was involved in the murder of the exarch executed, but then he marches straight down to Naples, although he stops for just a moment to say hi to the Pope in Rome. And he puts a direct stop to John of Conza by killing him and a hefty portion of his followers. I'm going to give you a very concise account from Paul the Deacon's History of the Lombards. It says, At this time, John of Conza took possession of Naples, but not many days afterwards, Eleutherius the Patrician drove him from that city and killed him. So that's the thing that happened. And with that, the rebellions are over, but... The point of this is it exposes the weakness of the imperial forces in Italy yet again, which then spurs on the Lombards to threaten war and invasion if they're not paid off in tribute. And this is not a great time. It's never a great time when the Lombards decide, hey, you're not actually strong enough to hold us back, so we're coming for you unless you pay us. And while this is not directly related to the papacy, other than the fact that Eleutherius came for a quick visit in Rome, this is the landscape in which Adeodatus is trying to pope in. So, this undoubtedly has an effect on the already battered and bruised Romans, and definitely led to an increased amount of refugees fleeing the conflict in the north and in the south of Italy, ending up in the middle, which is Rome. And these are the people that the Pope is still actively wanting to serve, according to the Liber Pontificalis, because alleviating the poor and bringing relief to the displaced as best as he could possibly do was his priority. Makes sense. He still cares about the poor. Now, there's something fairly unique about Adeodatus, and this is something that definitely has a legacy down to the present day. So we gotta talk about it. It's kind of interesting. According to the various sources, including the Liber Pontificalis, the New Catholic Dictionary, and the Catholic Encyclopedia, 
Pope Adeodatus was the first pope to use a type of lead seal on papal documents to verify documents that were traveling a long way to be authentic documents from the pope. Lead. Yes. Why are we using lead? That's how you kill people. Yes, but it's also very sturdy, and once you've sealed it, it is, it's a great way to, it will travel well, and when it gets to its long destination, they can still verify that this actually came from the Pope and hasn't been opened. And, and also to poison you. And also to poison you. Now, these lead seals are called bullae, which is how, by the 13th century, we get the term papal bulls. Oh. So it's not a bull, ever. It's only these little lead poison seals. Unfortunately, we can't be absolutely 100% for sure certain that Adeodatus was the first to do this, but it is new and notable at the time. And more importantly, one of the bulla still survives from his papacy. It still survives. Go see it. Don't touch it. You know? Don't touch it. Don't put it in your mouth. Don't <laughs> stick it in your ear. If you're putting it in your mouth, uh, I'm going to hit you because it is an artifact. It is preserved. And uh, so the obverse of it, or the front face of the seal, has an image of the biblical good shepherd and his sheep with the Greek letters Alpha and Omega, while the reverse of it, the back, is inscribed with Deus Dedit Popeye. So we know it came from him. Now, unfortunately, there is no picture online of where the bulla of Adeodatus is now, but I did find an amazing website showcasing a lot of the historically preserved papal bullae, so that will be in the show notes. Very cool. Lots of them to see. If you want to see them, Fry, I send you the link. And you can see some of them just in the, in the preview there. Yeah, they're pretty well made. Yeah, so we have... Innocent the third, and we have Martinus the fourth. So you can see a couple of them. Check out those double faces. So, over the last handful of episodes, we've talked about how brutal things have been in Rome. Even in this episode, we're talking about how brutal things are in Rome. From Lombard invasions to famine to disease, Rome has been getting beat up for hundreds of years at this point. Yeah, it really has. It's not, it's got stagnant rivers full of disease and... It's not been a good time. Invasions, disease, it's all bad. And things are about to get worse. When I was taking notes, I literally called this section more beating up Rome. So, in August of 618, the Liber Pontificalis tells us that Rome was hit by an earthquake. Okay. At least... This is what we think, anyways. So I consulted an article that specifically outlined all historical recordings of ancient earthquakes and the damage that they caused. Very interesting article. It's called Beyond the Damage Threshold, The Historic Earthquakes of Rome by Paolo Galli. And all they had for this one was the mention from the Liber Pontificalis, which I will quote for you. It says, and then in August, there was a major earthquake. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that's just what you say. There's no real descriptions of what sort of damage it caused, but it is referred to as a major earthquake. And considering everything else that Rome was going through, this had to just feel like one blow after another, really. But Rome has earthquakes. It's an earthquake 
earthquake-prone region, right? Yeah, I mean, there is there is a fair bit of earthquakes in there. It, it had one not too long ago, I think like a year and a half ago there was another one. But this one is, again, a major earthquake, not just a little rumble, so. But I mean, you know where you're living. Yes, yes, but they're getting hit by everything. You know the ground shakes periodically. Well, and some buildings definitely collapsed. There were some pictures of, like, structures that they they were identifying as having cracked in this earthquake and they had like the fissures and whatnot it's a great article i will also put it in the show notes so anybody who wants to see it can look at the pictures but if that weren't enough shortly after the earthquake rome is hit by yet another epidemic and this time it was a quote-unquote disease characterized by scabs so no one could recognize their own deceased Ew. And that's a quote from the Liber Pontificalis. So this is what historians have determined to be leprosy. And even though we know that leprosy was one of the most feared diseases of the Middle Ages, Adeodatus wasted no time during the epidemic and personally went out into the streets to care for the sick. This is extremely admirable and shows his long-standing commitment to the poor and infirm. As long as he doesn't die of leprosy, I think we're good. He dies of leprosy. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, he died on November 8th of 618, likely because of his exposure to the sick and dying people. Since you looked it up, how do you get leprosy? Okay, so you get leprosy through mucosal secretions, which is coughing or sneezing. Yeah, the goop. He was right up in there, and someone coughed and sneezed on him, and he died from it. But he did it while he was actively serving the people. So good on you, Adeodatus. Too bad that doesn't count as, like, martyrdom. Like, <laughs> it should. Like, he's actively doing a thing and in danger. And then that danger got him. Ooh, what's different it's between true. the leprosy mucus and the sword? It's kind of like dying in service as opposed to... Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I hear you. He could be our disease martyred pope. We're not done with martyr popes, by the way. Now, in Wendy J. Reardon's Deaths of the Popes, she claims that in Adeodatus's will, he becomes the first pope to dictate that the clergy would get an equivalent of a year's salary at the time of his death. Surprise! It's a party! He Oprah Winfrey'd his death. <laughs> well, they do do this. And I didn't see this mentioned in any other source on Adeodatus specifically, aside from the book Pope's Every Question Answered by Rupert Matthews, and there's no footnote in Wendy's book, so it's doubtful, especially considering the financial ruin of Rome, unless there's a source that I'm entirely unaware of that wants to pop up and verify it. But this is something that popes will definitely start to do. There is a common practice at the time for a new emperor to do this with the army when he comes into power. He'll just give them this massive bonus to win their loyalty. As he's coming into power, there is somewhat of a precedent. The popes are just doing it as they die. Look, I'm gone. The new pope is coming. Let me take care of you as my last act. Adeodatus might have been the first one to do that. He probably thought he had a lot more time when he wrote his will, but yeah. If you're gonna get up in the leprosy... Gonna happen. Don't let people sneeze or cough on you. So he was buried in St. Peter's, and his tomb was destroyed in the renovation to make new St. Peter's. There's no epitaph preserved from him, and any source that actually records one for him, like there is a historian called Renzo Montini, 
who says, oh, here is Adeodatus's epitaph. It's the wrong epitaph. It's for our next pope. We have no more on his tomb. But what we do have is a reliquary. Now, I have a photo of it for you. I don't have any more information on this. This is from a website called papalartifacts.com, and artifacts is spelled incorrectly. But this is clearly either an organization or a person who likes to collect papal artifacts and reliquaries. They say this is one of the oldest things that they have in their collection. The reliquary is from the 1600s. It is just a sculpture of a Pope man. doesn't say what kind of relic is inside of it, what bone it is. It's his leprosy mucus, so when you open it, you can kill everyone. Biological weapon. Yeah, we got a biological weapon. I mean, you can see the cloth-wrapped thing inside of the chest of the reliquary, but there is no further information of what it actually is. So there you go. No tomb, but a reliquary. And that's Pope Adeodatus I. And it is time to rate him. Papatum infallium. For better or for worse, he reversed Gregory's monasticism of papal administration and brought the church leadership back into the hands of priests. So we have to decide whether we like that or not, but he's bringing it back to the traditional understanding of those roles. He is the introduction of the papal bulls, which clearly has a massive impact. We have popes issuing bulls today, so big deal. And he's personally caring for people afflicted with leprosy, which is also a seculari impactum thing, but it is a man who is going out and serving in the faith, and that is undoubtedly enhancing the prestige of the papacy, or at least the respect and belovedness of a particular pope. So it's good. What do you want to give him? I'm leaning around like a four. Four is good. Uh, If you're going to give him a four, I'm going to give him a five, just because I think, you know, it's good. We got the bulls. People started preserving these bulls. It's excellent. So he'll get a nine in Papatum and Valium. Fructus prohibitum. Nothing really here unless you want to count undoing Gregory's influence as bad. I mean, uh, like, monks should be doing monk things. I agree. So I don't want to give him any points for this. It's not a bad thing. Mm-mm. I think that, you know, if the role was meant for a priest, give it to a priest. I don't have a problem with the fact that Gregory put monks in, because that was just Gregory being Gregory, but I don't expect every successive pope to follow that tradition. Be like, monks go here. No. Yeah. Let the monks do their monk stuff. Remember, he lamented. Gregory whined and whined about not being able to do monk stuff, and then he made other monks do that stuff too. Yeah, he was just punishing other people. So a zero for Fructus Prohibitum. Seculari Impactum. He's actively and personally involved in the relief efforts after an earthquake and the outbreak of leprosy. He was so closely involved he got leprosy himself. Yeah, I kind of want to give him a 10. You want to give him a 10? You know what, I think... He got leprosy. I think that's fair. He did get leprosy. I think if you are actively out serving the people to the point where you get leprosy, that's, you know, that we're giving him his martyrdom points here. Yes, let's give him a 10. Because good on ya. This is probably way out of balance with the rest of our scores, but I don't care. The man got leprosy helping people. 
His secular impact was so intense, he died. Yeah, he's pretty good. Yeah, I'll give it to him. So he gets a 20 in secular I impact him. I don't feel bad about it. He's getting it. Fossium Sanctus. <laughs> His beard is going all over the place. He has one of them forky beards. It is very forky. And it's fat forky, too. It's like, because it's not going down all the way. It's more like two poofs. It looks like, you know, when you have a whole chicken. And it's <laughs> oh like God. the bottom half. Chicken you know, legs. The two legs together. Two fat drumsticks hanging off of his face. He looks like a man who would get leprosy. Okay. Why? Look at how far that beard is. It's just someone coughs near the end of his beard and it climbs up into his mouth. Okay. Yeah, I follow you. Maybe if you're working with people who are really sick, put cloth over your face, but take the hair off. His bunny poof is wild. It looks like it curls around itself. <laughs> it does. He tried to comb it over. Yeah, he's got some tight ringlets there, actually, on the side of his head. Those are some Shirley Temple ringlets. The more I look at this, the more I discover. My hair stopped doing that. I guess I gotta go to the beach more or something. I don't know. You got that nice wave, though. I do, but it's, it's being flat and stupid. I guess the weather hasn't been good for it. It's true. Just get some of that salt spray. I got some, but I don't know. I haven't been messing with it. I don't need to look cute at my home every day. You, you don't even have to put the work in for that, Fry. <laughs> well, we're not talking about how cute you are. No. We're talking about how potentially cute this man is. So what do you think? I'm going to give me like a three. I like that he has a different expression than most of them. Like I like that he's mm -hmm. looking down and to the side and. Yeah, it's distinctive. I'll give him a four. So he'll get a seven, which will give him a score of 1.75. Pretty good. Tempus Pontificus. October 19th. 6.15 to November 8th of 6.18, which is three years and a score of 0 0.75. Not bad. All right, everybody, it's the canon bonus round! Do, 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 do. Uh, yeah. He's a saint. He has a feast day of November 8th. We're back to getting some saints. But he is not a patron saint. No. So you get to make him one. We didn't really cover a lot of things that he could be patron saint of. I feel really rude making him the patron saint of leprosy. I'm pretty sure there is a patron saint of leprosy. Ah, oh, then we can't have him be that. And we can't give him forky beards. Father Damien is the patron saint of leprosy and lepers. There's probably more than that, but he's, the, he's Saint Damien of Molokai. We could... Mm, we could make him, like, the patron saint of either, like, getting your hands dirty or, you know, we could do something about him undoing all of Gregory's, the patron saint of letting monks do monk stuff. <laughs> when a monk is there making some cheese or some beer, remember whatever this man's name is, Ado something. Adeodatus. Adeodatus. We made someone the patron saint of, like, weirdly spelled names children with weirdly spelled names was saint eutychian he's on that level so are we going to make him the patron saint of letting monks do monk stuff yeah i like it so he will be the patron saint of letting monks do monk stuff and that brings us to his total score 
which is a 32.5. He did very well, thanks to his- 20 points for getting leprosy. (laughs) 20 points for getting leprosy. Yep. So now I have to ask you, is this man, who we have scored very well, papally enough, pizzazzy enough, and since he is the man who introduced them, is he worthy of a papal bull? No. No? You don't like him? Mm, that's sad. I had to think, do you like him? I do like him. I And I think, you know, the fact that he is, like, the founder of papal bulls, it feels like a slap in the face if we don't. This is not a pope that, it, if there was no bit on the papal bull, I wouldn't really be considering it. But the irony. That he doesn't get one? But the irony. Yeah. It's fine. We can be ironic. All right. Well, we'll go with our instincts. I'm sorry, Adeodatus. You did well, but just not quite enough. And with that, we have some thank yous to make. We're going to end with thank yous. We're going to thank Totalis Rankium and Rex Factor. And I want to thank one of our listeners. Rutger K. sent me so many valuable, wonderful medieval sources. Thank you so, so much. I am so excited. I At this point that we are recording, I haven't even written him back because I have to write him a very nice thank you and tell him just how much we're recording in the middle of the day because I'm snowed in and I'm not going to work. So I woke up to that email and I am so excited. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks if you're still listening. I mean, if you're listening to our thank you section. Awesome. Cool. And with that, we can say thank you and goodbye. Bye.